0: Welcome back to episode number 36 of the MP dude. This is Jeff the MP dude giving nurse practitioners a voice. My voice, however, sounds like crap because I lost it over the weekend. I was sick over the weekend camping with Cub Scouts and yelling at the Scouts and doing meetings and training and all that stuff. It just kind of beat my voice up. So I apologize for the raspy voice. It sounds like crap. I know it, but hopefully the next day or so it'll start being a little better. But I wanted to get something out because I haven't been able to publish much because of the scout trip and all that stuff and working a lot last week. And I feel kind of bad about that. So I've got a couple of things that, that came in that I think are just really good good information to talk about. And um, I want to thank you guys. I, I really didn't do much like Facebook posting and really much publishing. And things stayed pretty flat. On uh, downloads and uh, my Facebook likes are up to like five, almost five sixty, so we're getting there. We're getting close to that thousand mark. You guys keep keep sharing the show, keep telling your friends, and I appreciate that. Now, what one of the questions that came up was, um, and it's a good it's a good start back in. Just a you know, what's your opinion? Because nobody knows what this is going to be like, right? And it's what does it? What do you think it's going to look like? If we go to a single payer, which I'm, I'm fairly certain we will, what's it going to look like for us? How are we going to get paid? How much are we going to make? Are we going to, you know, are we going to make less money? Are we going to work more hours? What, what's it going to look like? And what would it be like by comparing it to, say, Canada or some of the European countries? And I thought that's a good idea. You know, what, what do we, what do they make in Canada? What, what, do, what is the structure for nurse practitioners in Canada? I really didn't know, so I went and looked it up. And it looks very comparable to what we do. And it goes by province, the province or their states. And so it depends upon what province you're in as to what the structure is. Most of them are, all of them that I saw were masters level educated, similar to what we have, but they require a certain period of of nursing experience before you're allowed to go back and get your your masters. Some were two years, some were four years, I am not sure if one was five years of, of RN experience before you can get your, your advanced practice degree. And then it's a two year masters, just like what we do in the United States. So it's very, very similar. But what does it mean when you're single payer? And and so I looked at, at some articles and this is all anecdotal, so you know it's you know, how do you I'm not gonna go look up their salaries at each institution to figure it out. But it's very comparable to what it is in the United States from a range. So a range can be like down to like around 60, which is really low, all the way up to like 110 120 for for an advanced practice nurse. Now I don't know if they're including CRNAs. I'm not sure if they're you know specialists, whatever. it, it didn't really give me any of that information, but it did delineate between clinics, like um they they use their advanced practice nurses more for um like low income clinics and in those they have caps that are set by the province so that you can't make more than a certain amount and the one they quoted was 89,000 Canadian dollars so you can't make more than $89,000 in a clinic that's pretty low i mean i i would have turned that offer down as a new grad in, you know, in, in Northeast Ohio. So that's, that kind of sucks. Now you can make more in the hospital settings, but then keep in mind you're in a hospital setting. So those acute care NP type, you're going to make, you know, 100, 110, 120, if you've got experience, but, but regardless of experience, eventually you cap out. You can't, you can't make more. But is that really much different than what we get in the United States? I, I don't know. I mean, if you have a lot of experience, you're really proficient, and you see more patients, in theory, you could negotiate a higher and command a higher rate. That's that's how I would negotiate in the United, you know, in in my current setting. If I could bang out thirty people a day and give good care, and work my butt off, then I should make more because I'm we're getting paid by the by the billing code. So, do I think that that we're really that much different? No, I don't. But how I think it's going to be different in the United States is that we're we're going to have our government make things more painful for us before it gets better. And I think that we, it will be better with single payer after they make it worse for us, if that makes sense. Here's what I mean. If we were to get rid of government in healthcare altogether and go to a completely free market system and scrap it and start over in a perfect world, you come to me and you say, Jeff, I have a cold and I want healthcare. And I say, Yeah, for me to look at you, it's, you know, 20 bucks. I assess you. I write a prescription. You go down to the market. The market has the pharmacy. The pharmacy says the going rate without all the insurance and other stuff for amoxicillin is $5 for a dose. or for a a course of antibiotics. You paid me 20, you paid them five. It's pretty relatively inexpensive. The problem is now we have multiple, multiple, multiple layers of insurance and regulations and compliance and all these things that are there in theory to protect the public good, but it makes things so very expensive that my visit is, is... $70 Seventy dollars that I get reimbursed, and I'm going to bill it out at 110, or whatever it is, and then they go to go get their antibiotic, and amoxicillin. That would be five to ten bucks for the antibiotic, is in reality going to cost the insurance company sixty dollars. And your copay is five, which is what you would have paid anyways. So I don't know which way is better. Well, I think it's going to get more expensive and it's going to be more bureaucracy and more paperwork and more quality based outcomes, which I think are a good thing in theory. But I just think that the government's going to make it so onerous for us that we'll beg them for a single payer system and they'll scrap some of the components of the system that we have now to make it easier down the line. But anytime the government gets involved, I think it gets more expensive, it gets more time consuming, it gets more cumbersome. And ultimately, we, we, we will make the same amount of money that we're making now, I think, with a single payer system. But I think what's going to happen is it's just we're going to have more headaches. And, we're, and whenever the government says, and the government could be the state, it could be federal, I don't whatever it is, but they're going to say, we need you to show us all these records, and we need this, and we need that, we give them more control. And when they have more control, what are they going to take? More control, and it's that that absolute power corrupts absolutely. They will they will continually take more and more and more, and they'll eventually say, you know what, you make too much. We're going to cut your pay. We're going to make too, you. We need more information. You're going to spend more time doing charting. Um, they have studies that they want us to participate in because somebody gets a whim of you know we want to do a new procedure a new process and we're going to mandate that you do this and we're going to mandate that you do that. And that all adds hours to your day. So do I think we're going to make more money? No. Do I think we're going to make less money? No, but I think we're going to be in for more of a world of headaches and pains and all that stuff. And that's just me being cynical. But I also think that, you know, history dictates that our government typically screws things up. They just do. If anybody has one program out there that they honestly believe that the government is efficient with, let me know. The only one I know of is the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, and that's because they they um, make money. And they're not efficient. That's, that's not what I'm getting at. They actually make money, but that's because they deny all their patent claims and they make people refile. And so they get double the business with every patent. And that was old. That was back from when I was in law school. I remember the, having a patent class, and, and the patent guy that was our professor, was he the, He was the director of the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office in D.C. for a number of years, and he was the one that said that. So that's a pretty reliable source. <clears throat> but I don't think there's any other government agencies that are just efficient enough. <laughs> Tell me one, and, and we'll debate it. But... Um, I'd love to see the resources on that too, though. Not just say, oh yeah, Planned Parenthood, you know, is a great resource. Okay. Well, maybe it is. I don't know, but um, they're government funded and they lose money. So that was one that I thought was interesting, but I, I really don't think the difference between us and the other nurse practitioners around the world are really all that different in what we do. Now, I think Canada, they do have full practice authority because the, the state's, or their provinces, their states, have said, "Well, we're not going to get doctors for this cheap, so we're going to do it this way." That does that mean quality of care goes down. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. I still think nurse practitioners are pretty darn good at what they do. But that's why you have to wait forever to get into a specialist, because they're typically physicians. And I don't. I, that's just my philosophy, my my belief. Not. I have no source for that. Now, what I do think about. Um, that the uh, nurses in Canada, one thing I did see, and it was on a face one of the Facebook forums, was um, that can- Canada was talking about allowing RNs to be able to prescribe certain medications. So they're even going a step further. Now, do I like the idea of that? I don't know. I, I think that RNs can prescribe Tylenol and Ibuprofen, but you got to be careful, right? Even with, even with innocuous over-the-counter medications. If you've got renal failure, I'm not going to give you an an NSAID. So, I mean, I think an RN is capable of understanding those concepts. By far, that's not an issue, but I I just don't know. There's a lot of RNs out there. I I don't know. So I think they're going to be, and I hate the word mid-level provider, but there's going to be another tier of provider in Canada at least they're talking about it now whether that happens or not i don't know so they're even going one step further and and i see that you know as the progression happens that's that maybe you know in in like long term care facilities you know as as our aging population you know rn's can prescribe certain medications like you know really innocuous blood pressure medicines and things like that maybe i don't know that's that was interesting uh thought there i just i i we're in ohio and we're still fighting for collaborative you know free freedom and and you know here canada's talking about rn's prescribing medicines i I don't know it just seems very uh, liberal in in that that's pretty far away for us and i don't see it happening anytime soon now another one that that i wanted to kind of come back and i i did a podcast a while ago about some of the plans that are um available for your loan repayment and one of them was the uh nhsc hrsa um or the hrsa program and um when i was doing that podcast i was going off information that i saw and it was really general and it was intended to just get people the information to go find out the answers because i didn't know well i had somebody put a comment on my my webpage on, on the blog for that show and I encourage you to go read it because it was some good information and it was um, it was from a, a lady named Joy, I'm assuming it's a lady, and um, Joy says, uh, hi Jeff, I found your podcast today, I'm listening to this episode and I'm an FMP in my second year of the NHSC loan repayment at a community health center in Central Mass and I'm reading this because it's on the internet, anybody else can go read it, okay, they do not send you wherever they want to send you. It's more like a nurse loan repayment program. You have to apply to get the job and then apply for the NHSC loan repayment program. And, they, and I've seen that subsequent to that episode that I did, that first podcast. So I've seen some of the Facebook forum uh, page uh, comments that where they're talking about that. And you'll see the ratings when people are talking numbers like they have a 12 or a 14 or an 18 or a 16 or whatever. And basically what they do is the program, and here's what she says, the program then uses a scoring process to determine the level of need for the site, not the applicant, which was what I assumed it was. That's how I took it when I did my original post. Uh, That's weighted based on the population below the poverty line, infant mortality, a couple other measures. Okay, So they do some demographics. Then they take all the applicants in a given year and give the money to those in the facilities with the highest score. So you are already working at a terribly underpaid job and you may not even get the loan repayment funds. Just wanted to correct them for the record. And I appreciate that because I didn't know. And that's why I want this. This is exactly what this podcast is for. Exactly. This situation. I'm going to raise questions. I'm going to go with, man, I think this is how it works. And then I'm begging you guys to help me understand it. So this is exactly what I wanted, um, and so she she posted that, and I and I sent back thanks for doing that. I really appreciate it. And then she came back with a little bit more information. It said. Um, and and it's a little bit even more scary when I read this comment because like oh man this is kind of kind of you know burdensome. She said oh and I want to just add that the time you spend participating in any loan repayment program does not count towards the current ten year public service loan forgiveness program. Okay, so you can't double dip. So if you're doing the ten year like you're you, where you work for a public service and then. Um, um, 10 years of paying on your loans and then they forgive the rest. That doesn't count. So if you do a two year commitment under the HRSA, you're now a 12 year commitment. If you're going to do that. All right. So that was important. I thought that was interesting because that I didn't even know that. That's great. Um, and then she says, which may or may not e- even exist based upon the current, am- it, 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 nobody knows what's going to happen right with current administration. And then she gives some information about, um, U.S. News and um, student loan reforms that are under the Trump, and I didn't look those up. So that you guys go – there's a link in the comment. If you guys want to see what they're proposing, go look it up. Here's the problem with that. The Republicans last week – and this was comment from a couple days ago. The Republicans shot down the Trump care, right? It didn't even make it out of the the, the, the uh, House, right? It, which is kind of what I was telling you in my, my podcast when I was talking about – this, the Trump Care reforms, and, and how it was Obamacare light, and it wasn't going to go anywhere. So it's not worth getting all worked up over because it's not going to be there anyways. It's going to change. <clears throat> so that being said, there's there's an article there if you want to go read that. Now keep in mind, U.S. News is a little left leaning, so you have to take that with a grain of salt. There's also another one here that says. Um, I've seen other articles suggesting Trump is in favor of getting rid of the PSLF program and doing a 15-year loan forgiveness, which I think the PSLF is that 10-year. I could be wrong, but I think it's that 10-year and go into a 15-year for federal loans only. So that's, that's where you got to be careful. It's got to be one of the federal Stafford-type loans. Um, and then let's see, what else does she say here and make all the payments for those 15 years at 12.5% of the person's income, which I don't know if that's a good deal or not. Depends on your income, right? If you make a hundred grand a year, that's twelve five a year. That's a thousand dollars a month, right? So I'm not sure if that's a good deal or not. I don't know what people are paying. I, I did mine in a different way. I paid for my master's a different way. Um, Alright, so here's the way that the HRSA scores. And there was a lot of people asking about this in the Facebook forums. So I appreciate that, Joy. You did a great job and you really went above and beyond giving some information in there. And, um, and I really appreciate it. But here's another scary thing she said in another, because we kind of had some exchange back and forth. And, um, please go read this. And it's, uh, episode, I don't even know. I don't even know. Go look it up. Search it. Search, um, Loan Forgiveness, and, and you'll uh, it'll come right up on my page. But here's what she puts. Um, you have to create an account on the website for the HRSA, and you can look up the scores of the facilities. And I, was, I said, maybe I'll do it. I haven't had time to do it. But I might do that because I might just be curious to see what the process is. And then you can look at facilities in your area that might be in an underserved area, and you can plug in their name. I'm assuming you can do it by the facility name. And then you can look at their score. And the higher the score, the more opportunity you have for loan forgiveness. So if they've got like a 12, you're probably not going to get any money. I think it's like a a 14 or 16. Here's what it says right here. The jobs show the HRSA score usually between 12 and 26. The higher the number, the worse the shortage, the more likely you're going to get loan repayment. So if you're 12, you're probably not going to get anything. Okay? And I've seen some around 16, 17, and people saying that they're 16, 18, and they're getting loan repayment on the Facebook forums. So I don't know what the order of magnitude is, If, if it just depends on the need. Uh, also worth noting, and this is what scared the crap out of me about these programs, if you don't fulfill your contract, you have to pay back not only the prorated amount that you didn't serve, which I, that seems fair, but also $7,500 per month penalty for every month of the contract you don't fill. <laughs> That's pretty severe, right? So here's what she has: if you use, a, if you serve a one year instead of a two year, and basically, so you're giving up twelve months, you have to pay back twenty five thousand dollars plus ninety grand in penalties, 7,500 times twelve. So you got to give them back 115000 dollars for one year for them for them to pay for your uh you know for a couple thousand bucks in your on your loans. I mean my, my student loans were like 40 grand, 45 grand. I'm not afraid to tell anybody. That's that's what it cost for Malone Private School in Northeast Ohio out the door, 45 44 something change. Okay? Uh that was books, everything. But I couldn't imagine paying 110 <laughs> thousand dollars for a one-year breach contract that's pretty onerous that's pretty rough uh they don't mess around either every single day counts so if you if you miss a day of work they tack a day on at the end so and that's that's in i trust joy I mean, she's got a lot of information here she's in the program uh, i i encourage you her your, i have her email i don't know if it shows up on your end um but you guys can comment on that thread if you have questions for joy um, or questions that you want me to ask joy comment on that thread and um, we'll, we'll get them answered because joy seems to be in the know on it and man. It's that's that's a, a Great way to get your loans paid back, but man, it sounds sounds kind of rough it sounds a little rough and there's not necessarily any guarantees I don't think on getting your loan repayment when you when you apply and take the job so you may be working in an underpaid uh, clinic that has a decent score, but if the funding isn't there to give you loan re-payment, re- reimbursement because of the allocations in that area, I don't know if you're going to get it. There's no guarantees is what it sounds like. But it, it might be an option for you. And But the problem is, is you're locked in for a two year commitment, and then I think that was the one with it. You could have an optional third year uh, as well. But um, if you want to skip out, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you suck it up for that term or you're going to be in some serious amount of pain. You're going to have to mortgage your house or something to get out of that one. So that was good information, Joy. I appreciate it. And it was an exact example of what I'm looking for in this podcast. I'm just, I'm giving my opinions. I'm giving information that I know, things that I feel comfortable with. And when I don't know something, I'm going to tell you, I don't know. But here's what I found on the internet's. And then we, we get it out there and get corrected by people like joy. So thank you, joy. Okay. So the last one I have for today was from, uh, somebody that posted to my Facebook page, to, to the MP dudes Facebook page and had a question about, um, what is the fair per visit rate for primary care house call visits for a small house call practice? Any thoughts? And it really depends. It's my favorite answer, right? It really, really depends. Um, if it's a private company, I, I always look at things like economies of scale. If you're thinking in the terms of Walmart, that's back to the Walmart theory. And I've mentioned this before. If you, if you listen to my podcast, you'll hear me talk about my Walmart theory of economy. If you have a billion things that you're selling, and I use dish detergent as my example. If you, if you have a, a billion bottles of dish detergent that you're selling, you could sell cheap. If you've got a small company that's selling the same exact product, it's going to be more expensive. It just has to because the overhead, the expenses, the the, the, um, the cost of doing business that gets rolled up into that product is much higher. It just is. And then you have profit and everything else. So for you to be able to, to keep the lights on, you got you got to charge more. So it here you have a, the, is the instance of a small house call practice is this something that you're setting up yourself and you're doing it as your own and, you know, practice out of your car? Maybe you can you control some of the overhead and, and your own expenses and costs and keep those very low. It depends, right? So it just really depends. If you have a physical space somewhere that you have, you know, you see uh, in in an office clinic as well as home-based, now your overheads going to be a lot more expensive. If it's a small practice, your costs are probably going to be a little bit higher than what it would be if you're going to some of these big home health assessment type companies that are you know multi state companies and you see posts on all of the MP forums about those companies saying, "Hey, is this one good or is that one good? Does anybody have experience with this one and And I'm not gonna to lie to you i I contacted some of those when I was waiting for my credentialing to go through just to see if you know if I could do some assessments. And bring some money in. So I did talk to a couple of the recruiters from those organizations. And the numbers that I was getting from them was around 100 bucks a visit. But it depends. It depends on whether that's a good deal on, on where you are geographically. If you're in Iowa and you have to drive an hour to get between visits, it's going to take you eight hours to do four visits for 100 bucks. That's 50 bucks an hour. I don't know if that's a good deal for you. It might be. I don't know. That depends. It depends on what's what else there is. If you're working in a clinic and you can pull in sixty bucks an hour or, or fifty-five bucks an hour, then driving half your day is pretty low stress. Um, I've heard it's a lot of paperwork doing those home health type visits. Um, those visits typically take longer because you're in there. You have to help them. So they ask you know, Can you help me get up and you know whatever and and you know they want to talk and and. You have to go through everything about them and review, assess their home and you know for safety stuff, too. So, I mean, they, there's a lot of stuff to do in those visits and a lot of documentation. Um, but I've seen lo- numbers as low as 80 for those per visit, up to 100 per visit. Now, it just depends. If you can drive 15 minutes and you're in inner-city Cleveland, and you could be from one spot to another in 15, 20 minutes and drive halfway across the city to do it... Um, and, and spend your 45 minutes or an hour at that at that site then then y- you could turn some pretty good coin um, The one that I talked to it, they wanted a f- minimum of a four hour commitment and this was just home health assessments not just not a, a in-home practice you know so, so it, it might be a little different than what you're asking the question for but it kind of gives you some order of magnitude of what we're talking about and they wanted 4 hours of commitment you made 400 bucks and they expected four patients to be seen but the problem is is that you know if i was going to be doing this in ohio chances are i'm going to be driving 30 to 40 minutes between between clients just where I live. That's the way it's gonna be. So the problem is is that my four hour commitment in reality is a six or seven hour commitment. And then they said for any patients after that, they pay a hundred dollar per patient flat rate. And so but for each one, you have to spend forty five minutes to an hour with the patient, and then you're gonna drive thirty minutes, that's an hour and a half for a hundred bucks. That's not a bad rate. That might be worth it. You do six a day and you work an eight hour a day. Might be worth it. So it really depends. And, and some of the other stuff that, like I said, with the smaller offices and the overhead, if you have a clinic and versus not having a clinic, if, you're, if, if you wanted to set up a practice and you could make it work this way and you're doing just Medicare, like Medicare wellness visits, those things pay fantastic. I think they pay like 160 bucks per visit for a Medicare wellness visit. And you, do, you have to do the first one within a year, age 65, and then you get one a year. Just doing wellness visits. But you'd have to have a lot of people to make it worth your while. That's a lot of Medicare. And I don't know if you could get that many people to do it. But if you could do the majority of, you know, if you could do two or three of those a day of just Medicare wellness visits, man, you can make some coin. They pay out like 160 That's what they pay. It's pretty pretty impressive. So that's one thing. Now, some of those home health assessment places, they also pay your mileage too. So keep in mind that... Your mileage, I think it was $0.55-ish, somewhere in there, uh, per mile. So if you're driving all over Timbuktu, you're beating the crap out of your car. I mean, you're going to burn up your car in a year, year, two years. You're going to put 60,000 miles on your car in a year. You just are. And you'll get a a decent reimbursement for it, but you're going to burn up your car. So it's a throwaway at that point. So plan on buying another car in two or three years. So that's something else to think about, but man, it, it might not be a bad way to go doing home health visits and doing, um, <clears throat> you know, reconciling their medications, refilling, refilling their meds. Some companies will set you up with all the equipment and laptops and stuff. So it just depends if you've got to buy the equipment and you can tether to your phone. So you can, you can, you can put in prescriptions, e-scribe, um, e-prescribe right through your phone, your computer through the phone, right to the pharmacy. I don't know. It's like, it sounds like an interesting way to go. Um, here's what else, this this comment we kind of had exchanged back and forth. She said, population will be Medicare patients that are unable to find extremely taxing to go to the doctor's office. Okay. Patients may have secondary insurance. Okay. Less than 50% reimbursed Medicare rate. I've always been a salaried employee, so this is new for me. Um, just want to be compensated fairly. So it sounds like what you're looking at, is getting an hourly rate based upon just seeing visits, and and I don't know. It just depends on your you know. It's like most of the insurance companies, right? It depends on how you negotiate. And Medicare, Medicaid, they they're, they kind of tell you how it is, and you deal with it. So everybody pretty much gets the same, but it can diff, di- be different from one part of the country to another because every state's Medicaid is different. The Medicare should be the same, but it gets it does get adjusted based upon geography. And, uh, but so I I would be looking for at least a hundred bucks an hour. Um, 80 to a hundred is, is like the home health type rate that you're seeing because of that. Now it depends also, are you um salaried i see that you had salaried employee there but it just depends what's the rest of your benefits are you are you a contract employee are you are they paying all your expenses are they paying for your malpractice are they paying your cmes are you getting to, what's your your time off are you getting vacation are they doing for, so are you an employee type contract or are you doing it as an, a contractor? and so it really depends on how you're playing that game and if you if you need help with that. PM me and I'll give you some guidance on like, okay, maybe you should be doing this as a contractor and go listen to starting my business podcast. I just published yesterday. You could also listen to some of the other ones about like the LLC versus the, the, the corporation. I have some setting up a company thing in there, uh, some information on that. And then also the employee contract employee versus contractor is a good one to listen to with this, this type of, uh, comment as well, because it could be that you're, you're, you're salaried before, but now you're going to a productivity base, but you're still a contract employee. That might be different than saying I'm, I'm now a contractor. So it really depends. There's a lot of moving parts there, um, and PM me and and I'll see what I can do to to give more information on that. But the eighty to one hundred is the number if you're a, a contractor. Just here's here's your money. Go away. That's that's kind of what they're they're paying out there now. And I don't think that you're gonna get much more than that now. That that means that they're making probably one and a half to two times that because they need to pay their overhead and all the expenses and make a profit and stuff like that. So they're probably billing you out at like one fifty to one eighty, and you're getting eighty to hundred. So that's where I'm going with that. Hey guys, thanks again for listening. Sorry for the lull and sorry for my voice. Hopefully tomorrow it'll be a little better. Um, maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But keep listening, keep sharing the show, keep liking on the Facebook pages, uh, comment as much as you guys can and much as you want to. Uh, I got a lot of comments in the last couple of days. Yeah, maybe it's because I, I had a lull. People were like, ooh, he isn't talking about something. I, you know, I'm, I got some ideas. So keep those ideas and comments coming. Um, keep sharing on, on uh, the Facebook page and, and tell your friends to listen on iTunes too. I've, I've had a couple people tell me I suck, which is fun. So keep telling me I suck. Put it right on the main page. Jeff, you suck. Put it on the the Facebook forums, too. I don't care. Say, Jeff, the MP dude, you suck. And then an LOL, just so everybody knows you're laughing at me. But either way. So I appreciate the comments. I appreciate you guys listening. And we'll talk soon.